The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit Matters, where we explore matters of the spirit with leading experts from across the spiritual spectrum, all designed to enrich and enlarge your wisdom, deepen your joy and peace, and awaken your inner connection to the divine. Here's your host, Philip Goldberg. Greetings, everyone, and uh, welcome to Spirit Matters, the reboot of Spirit Matters, which was... um, something I co-hosted with Dennis Ramundi for seven years until we stopped. (laughs) But the archive lives on. And if you go to spiritmatterstalk.com and our YouTube channel, you'll find about 300 interviews with extraordinary spiritual teachers and experts and artists like today's guests. So enjoy that. And please subscribe to this new version on our new platform, which uh, continues the tradition of conversations with a diverse range of wise people who will help you along your spiritual path. And today's guest, I'm pleased to say, is Jayutal. Many of you know him and his work. He's a Grammy-nominated pioneer in world music and sacred music, and uh, who has, over the years, released more than 20 albums of devotional music, most of which have been in the style of traditional kirtan, which is the call and response devotional music of India centered on chanting of mantras. Uh, But Jai has a diverse Uh, musical background and diverse sources of inspiration and his latest album which we'll talk about today named Dust and Tears is a bit of a departure. The songs were inspired by a variety of spiritual stories and prayers from disparate traditions and I should say the musical styles are just as diverse. So Jai, welcome. Uh, thank you, Phil. I'm glad to be here. Um, for people who don't know your background, you've been at this um, <laughs> for a long time. And uh, how did it all start? Uh, you, you know, uh, you devoted your, your life to, well, devotional music with a kind of blending of uh, traditions of East and West mainly. Um, And I was intrigued by your origin story because uh, it has to do with uh, the early days of rock and roll in New York. So how did it all begin for you? Well, yeah, I grew up in Manhattan. My father 
was in the music industry and he was a producer, he was a record company executive. Earlier on, he was actually a songwriter. And, um, well, you know, uh, I, we, we moved to the city when I was six. And between six and 19, um, I was completely surrounded by the pop music, rock music, soul music of, of that era. And that's a, that's a nice long era. My father used to take me to recording sessions and I knew from a very young age that music was it for me. I started studying piano, I guess when I was six, when we first moved to Manhattan. Um, but my first, you know, real musical revelation was the five string banjo. A lot of people don't know that about me, but when I was, I think, 11, I met a, a guy who became a very lifelong friend who was playing banjo, and, and I just strummed the banjo, and really, for the first time in my life, I felt a sense of, like, a, a safety net, sanctuary, and, and I got really, really into old-timey Appalachian music, um, even auditioning to to music and art high school on five-string banjo. <laughs> wow. But um, after a while, I was I, I began to be drawn to certainly the psychedelic music, music that was happening, and and then from there made a quick jump to Indian music. And um, I guess it was the yeah it was the eve of my first classes when I went to college, a Reed College in Portland. Ali Akbar Khan gave a concert, and Khan Saab's concert was so moving to me and so, you know, earth-shaking to me that I very quickly dropped out of college and came down to California to the Bay Area to attend his college, the Ali Akbar. Let me interrupt you for a second, John. Most people know for, uh, of the Indian music pioneers. They, they think of Ravi Shankar, and Ali Akbar Khan gets... Uh, uh, is too little appreciated. So maybe say something about who he was. Um, Ali Akbar Khan was Ravi Shankar's elder Gurubai. Uh, Gurubai meaning they had the same guru, who was Ali Akbar Khan's father. Um, Ravi Shankar, Raviji, was much more interested in mixing raga and Western music and 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 he was fantastic. There's no there's no belittling that. But he became uh, much better known, and he was also a much more outgoing personality. Ali Akbar Khan was very introverted in in the most beautiful way. And his music, well, to me, you know, I mean, I was his student for many 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 years. To me, there was no nobody on the par uh, of his. Um, in terms of really music in general, and specifically Indian classical music. He, he was not only a maestro, he was a, um, uh, he was able to touch the music of the spheres and, and the music of hearts. So, you know, I, I, I was very, very devoted in my practice, in my studies with him. And what I was learning was the sarod, which is a 25 string instrument it's got a, a skin head and a um, stainless steel fingerboard, no frets. 
and it's kind of, it's a relative of the sitar which Ravi Shankar played, um, and after a little while of studying, Alaprakan said to me and to all of his students, "If you want to continue studying with me, you have to also study singing, Indian singing." And to that up to that time, I had no any even idea of, of singing. <laughs> the thought of singing was just too terrifying. But um, there was an Indian woman who was teaching the, the raga songs, the tra traditional songs in, in the ragas. And I started practicing and, and studying those songs and practicing the scales and practicing the ragas. And, you know, something opened up inside of me that, that was really big. I felt, uh, you know, I could sort of feel my inner world in a way that I hadn't at all. You know, it, it still was many years, really decades, before I fully embraced being a singer because of <laughs> so many psychological issues around that. But Akbar Khan started that process. Mm. And so I studied for him with him for several years, and then, then I went to India. You know, I, I, I wanted to go to the source of this music. And, and while I was in India, I met Neem Karoli Baba. Maharaji, who um, I realized after a little while was my guru, had been my guru and my savior, my protector for many, many, many lifetimes. And, um, you know, so I spent time with him. And prior to going to India, I was introduced to kirtan chanting th through a yoga teacher, and I was just really enjoying that. But then being with Maharaji in India, that took on a, a whole other dimension for me. I came back, you know, this is making a lifetime in a very, very <laughs> short yeah, couple of I paragraphs. Did. Came back and continued studying with Ali Khan for quite a while and then stopped for a while and, and got really into um, Western music, uh, rock and roll, reggae, particularly play, playing electric guitar. And then after some time uh, discovered the possibility of, of, you know, taking elements of the Indian music that I had so deeply immersed myself in with, you know, Western music that I had grown up with, pop music, uh, rock music, reggae, jazz, and started, you know, like trying to find an alchemy. And this was, this was right before I released my first album, Footprints, um, Gosh, 80, 1989, I think, maybe? I'm Now I'm not sure. And um, so I started doing that. And then I started, then I went back to Ali Akbar Khan's college and continued studying with him as I was pursuing this, this um, I don't like to use the word fusion because it has so many other connotations, but um, uh, maybe, maybe a stew, you know, mm -hmm. uh, of, of different musical influences and started performing and um, uh, continuing with that and more and more uh, getting into opening my mouth and singing in, in this process and of course mostly what I wanted to sing, not, not entirely, but mostly what I wanted to sing was mantras, which um, have, had shown themselves to me. <laughs> as being such potent vehicles for, for human transformation. And um, 
you know, and then gradually my music, you know, gradually the, the yoga movement in the U.S. started blossoming and, and my music, my mantra chanting, my kirtan chanting just fit right into that world. You know, previously I, I had been labeled world music. Mm. That, then um, that kind of evolved into uh, music for yoga. And gosh, years and years and years and years went, went by and that brings us to now. <laughs> you left out Mitch Ryder. I was at the recording session for um, Devil with a Blue Dress on, Good Golly Miss Molly, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. That, that was a pivotal moment in my life, you know? It was so powerful and so amazing. <laughs> and you listen to that song now and it's, you know, the, the raw shakti of it hasn't, hasn't faded in the slightest. Uh -huh. Yeah, that I'll that was. To, I just read it in your bio, and I thought, oh God, I have to listen to that again. It's very raw, you know. Yeah, it's, it's very raw, primal rock and roll, and um, <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. And you know, I left out a lot, of course. Of course, um, Jimi Hendrix, Beatles. What what can we say? You know, yeah. Um, you mentioned. Uh, you didn't want to use the word fusion, but it's uh, the style of kirtan that has become so popular with you and others um, uses traditional mantra uh, kir uh, chanting, but also a lot of uh, instrumentation and uh, rhythmic structures that are very Western. Very rock and roll. Very. I mean, you you often have. Uh, I've seen you with uh, dr people with a drum set behind you and 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 plugged in. And um, have you run into uh, people objecting? People. I hate to use the you know woke term appropriation, but have have you been? Uh, accused of, of uh, distorting the traditional music or anything like that, or in your experience of people representing traditional kirtan, uh, appreciate it, appreciate the adaptation. Um, well, backtracking, the, the reason I didn't want to use the word fusion is because it's it's mostly associated with jazz, yeah. jazz rock fusion. Um, which is a whole different thing, featuring you know a lot of soloing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, sure, I've been accused of everything, but <laughs> the people who, over the course of my life, the Indians specifically, who are really deeply in the bhakti tradition, the devotional tradition, have all just given me so much love and so much encouragement and so much appreciation. Um, and that you know, that's what I, I choose to focus on. My, my relationship to devotional music, to Indian devotional music, let's say, ha has never been that of a dilettante. You know, I've been, I'm, am, was, am, still, still am, deeply, deeply immersed in in these practices. You know, I didn't take up kirtan to become a star. Uh, Kirtan took up me way before I even thought of getting on a stage and sharing it. In fact, you know, there was a, there was a, a period in my life where I felt that my 
public music, so to speak, had to be very different than my private mm. kirtan practice. And then, then gradually, um, more and more people w were asking me to sing kirtan with them. And, and you know, so then uh, everything kind of mixed together. For me, the first exper experiments for my first album, you know, and continuing through several albums was, was this, like, how, how, do, how can I add Western harmony uh, to raga melodies without detracting from the raga? Of course, it's, you know, of course it's, it takes it out of the pure classical realm, that, you know, no question about that. But with like enhancing, or I shouldn't say enhancing the raga because the raga is so complete, but uh, adorning it in a different way. Maybe it's a, it's a good way of saying it. And, and those experiments and that whole process of experimentation was so fun and so beautiful for me. After a couple of albums, Ali Akbar Khan asked me to produce two of his albums and, and to approach them with this East Western mm. feeling. So, so the first one was um, called Journey and the second one was called Garden of Dreams. And, and you know, producing, the word producing for a master, uh, you know, it has a different sense. He, he's in control and, and must be because of just who he was. But, you know, there was a lot of respect there asking, well, from, I mean, from him asking me to try to create these, these East-West fusions around his ragas and his compositions. It was it's really, I felt so, it was so humbling and so, so honoring in the same time and um, scary a little bit too, because you know <laughs> you don't want the master to get mad at you. What did you? What kind of chord did you add there? No. <laughs> <laughs> but they were great. You know, great. It was great experiences doing that. And then lately, lately, meaning in the last maybe I don't know, decade and a half or two decades, something like that. You know, I I, I met my soulmate Nubia, who who is a Brazilian woman. And she uh, slowly turned me on to so much amazing Brazilian music, and and I started studying Brazilian guitar, and mm. and lo and behold, that started really, really feeding into the the composing that I was doing, as well as a kind of a renewed love and passion for reggae. So there were a bunch of albums that were still primarily kirtan, you know, in terms of mantra singing, call and response, but Musically, they weren't uh, particularly Indian at all. Um, you know, well, Thunder Love was the, f I would say, the first of, of those albums. But that, um, I had some amazing Indian musicians on that album with me. So even though the, the chord structures and the rhythms were more Western and more resilient, there was still incredible raga playing on it. And then, anyway, uh, let's see, what was, what was after that? Um, that was a lot of albums. <laughs> um, Queen of Hearts was a completely reggae album. They all call and response Kirtan, completely reg reggae. And, and then there was a couple of inst more instrumental albums that I did with my friend and co-producer Ben Lineback, which were very long, meditative pieces uh, became really popular in the yoga yoga world and 
anyway, that all brought me up to this place now uh, of releasing dust and tears and creating dust and tears. Now um, that we're there, yeah. Um, one of the uh, 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 one of the items on the um, press release or the liner notes is, quote, each of these songs grew from a seed found in an ancient text. Sometimes it was a line, sometimes just a word, and sometimes simply the sentiment. So you drew from a variety of traditions of uh, ancient prayers, devotional poetry, and so forth. I'm intrigued by that. What was the origin of the album? What did you set out to do? Well, it was, a, a, you know, probably be probably at least a four year process. And, and lyrically, it was it was all co written, co composed with my wife, Nubia. The, 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 the seed of it all is, you know, we read poetry of the mystics, um, uh, you know, from India, so, so much bhakti poetry, Mirabai, Tulsidas, I mean, it's 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th century uh, was just so rich with what we call bhakti poetry. But the reality was that these were not poems to be read. They were all songs. Mm-hmm. Some some were song cycles, some some were long story songs, and and some were, well, a lot were individual standalone songs, popular songs. Uh, you know, in some cases, the the composers were very, you know, little known and obscure, and in other pa- cases, the 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 songwriters were were very well known in, in their regions. You know, it's not <laughs> there's no radio, there's no. Uh, internet, there's no TV, so so it was all very localized. But the songs were sung and written for God and for the community. So, you know, so there was this just an idea of like, well, there was something that Ali Akbar Khan talked about frequently was, you know, he would teach us songs by Mirabai, songs by Kabir, the, the many of the mystic songwriters from medieval India. But, you know, he, he would say in a very poignant way, you know, we'll never know what melody they sang. We'll never know what um, raga they chose, or we'll never know what their voices sounded like. And, and you know, it's, it's so true. So, Nubia and I had the thought, well, let, let's put new melody, a new raga. It was raga, it's not really raga, because it's not classical Indian music, but new, well, completely new music. And But let's explore the themes of these ancient texts, songs, and, and try to expand on them, uh, or extrapolate is maybe a better word, to, into our a more current idiom. And so, you know, we, would, we have all these books and we've been reading these books. I've been reading some of these books for 50 years and um well well which lines from you know from this particular song which lines really touch us and we'll go back and forth and back and forth back and forth and uh you know i would pick up the guitar and see what fit what you know and then change it to fit and 
And sometimes we would just find the line from the chorus. And, and again, as, as I said in the liner notes, sometimes it was just really just the mood. Now, I think each song has at least something from, from the inspiration, from the source inspiration. But a lot of times it was more the mood than the actual words. Mm-hmm. And we found, of course, we knew and know that a, a, a very prevalent mood of the, of the bhakti poetry, I'm still using the word poetry, but I really mean to, to supplant that word with songwriters and songs, um, is the, the mood of, of separation and the mood of longing. And, and so many of the songs are really heart-wrenching, you know. And, and then, the, you know, for years of uh, journeying in this world, the, real, the experience that when we sing these heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, passionate songs to the divine, uh, something happens inside of us, like this beautiful, sublime state, like just kind of, kind of comes to the surface, which, you know, in terms of Western concepts of <laughs> the mind and the emotions, it's, it's just, this doesn't fit. How can, how can you sing something so sad and, and find that the result of that singing is, is joy? But that is part of what the bhakti tradition shows us. And then a couple of the songs were from the Book of Psalms from the Old Testament, which I've been, you know, diving into and re rediscovering lately. And, and the, their mood is a little bit different. Um, it's, it's really supplication more than... Uh, you know, more than that almost romantic, you know, the Indian songwriters, are, it's, it's so romantic, where the, the psalms are, are uh, there's a different kind of reverence. Um, but still, it's, it's a calling to, for protection, it's a calling for connection. Um, yeah, anyway, so that, that's, that's how the album was born. And, you know, I released a lot of singles and actually two albums in the midst of our process of working on this album. So that, you know, we worked slow and there was many reasons for that. We're, we're parents and then the pandemic came and wow, you know, so much has happened over the last four years. Um, so it's not like we got into a room and just like, let's knock out these songs. <laughs> it... Um, it was a very slow and, and it was a beautiful process working on this with my wife because we hadn't done that kind of a collaboration ever. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Jai, say uh, more about um, the sort of alchemy of of devotional music it's you you touched on it when you said something even songs of sorrow and longing and uh uh 
somehow result in joy. You could even say, in, in many cases, ecstatic feelings. Um, but I have to say, you know, sometimes I feel that way listening to Billie Holiday. <laughs> sure, know? sure, and yeah. The artistry just is is uh, transports you. But with devotional music, um, it's also the intention to to uh, have a transformative effect on the listener. Is is it your experience that um, it's almost like? Devotional music has the same kind of variety that prayer does. There's prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of longing and prayers of uh, pleading and prayers, prayers of celebration and so forth. Devotional music have that kind of variety and uh, of mood and content and intention. Uh, yeah, very much so. And, and as, far, as far as I'm concerned, devotional music and devotional song is prayer. It's um, and it is meditation, even though it at times can be very, very active and very, you know, uplifting and fast and you know. Um, but but all it, it's just like what you said about Billie Holiday. You know, a, a, a true soul singer. Um, hard life for sure, and and um, we won't go into that, but. But yeah, someone, an artist who sang from her heart and her soul without any, any, nothing in between, you know. So uh, the the moods of devotional songs and, and as well as kirtans are as, as varied as the moods in a human heart. And the, the more that we get in touch with our emotional self in a, in a meditative way, and again, I, meditative does not mean quiet. Does necessarily does not necessarily mean still or silent, but it 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 means you know focused and directed towards spirit. It, uh, the way I'm using it now, uh, um, yeah. Uh, there's so many colors in the rainbow of love. You know that that uh, longing is part of love. Jealousy is part of love. De, uh, being demanding is part of love. Uh, mm. um, sorrow is part of love, and and bliss is part of love. And anger, and anger is part of love. You know, yeah. there's the, so many songs of Radha and Krishna, where particularly Radha is is, is furious at Krishna. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's an it's all an expression of of. The deep, deep, both connection and wanting connection simultaneously. And and you touched upon this. It's another intriguing thing in my notes, which is the um, the relationship of what we call devotional music in all the different traditions, and what we think of as love songs, romantic love songs. They seem to be diametrically opposite, but they're not. And I always think of uh, early rhythm and blues singers, not, not just early ones, who's, who came out of the gospel tradition and would say, 
all they did was substitute Jesus for the girlfriend or the boyfriend. <laughs> but it, it's with a similar thing. Do you find, is there a similar thing in traditional um, uh, devotional music where, like you think of the Song of Solomon in, in the Old Testament, it's, it, it, you know, people have been debating all, is he talking about God symbolically or is he really, you know, in love with you know, woman, which is it and where? Uh, is it like that in, in the other traditions as well? Well, yeah, I, we, we never know about Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> but Song of Solomon is so beautiful. And, and, you know, there's a way I, I feel that the emotions of romantic love expressed towards a human being versus expressed towards God or goddess are not so different. Um, I think the practice itself is what makes it a little different. The repetition mm -hmm. and the, the um, focus and as well as, you know, we haven't talked about it, but just, you know, the innate power of the mantras. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, but, the, you know, gosh, you, you know, we read the Ramayana and, and, Ram, God on earth, and Sita, goddess on earth, when, when Sita is abducted, Rama completely falls apart. He, you know, here, he who is the source of all cannot barely stand up when, when suddenly he's separated from his beloved. Um, and on and on and on. There's just way too many examples of that to even you know, begin uh, that the the intensity of human love uh, it's kind of like a, a I don't know how to how what the word is right now it 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 just sits in the intensity of divine love and um, and you know my guru said all love is pure and takes you to God and brings you to God and I really believe that I don't separate, you know, like my love for my family, love for my son, or my love right. for my wife, as, and I don't like say, okay, that's human love. And then I have my, uh, you know, aspirations toward divine love. I don't look at it in that way at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's more like, how can we open our hearts to, to everyone and everything? You know, Speaking certainly which, um I was listening to selections from the album, the new album, and the uh, turns out that the um, the title song "Dust and Tears" is about that. It's about a, you know, a, what we would think of as a tragic love story between uh, two people that, based on a true true tale. Tell us about that. Uh, it is a tragic love story. Um, Chandi Das was. Uh... Was it 15th century? I think. Actually, I say it in the liner notes, but my mind is so, so fragmented. He he uh, lived in a village in West Bengal, and he was born. He was a Brahmin, and he was um, raised to become the priest in the temple of Chandi, the goddess, an aspect of Kali. And so he was a young priest in the temple, um, and the sweeper woman who was. Uh, in the untouchable caste, and at that time the caste system was was quite rigid. You know, 
came into the temple to sweep out the temple and they looked at each other and felt madly in love with each other and um, you know began to have this relationship and and in their relationship they viewed each other as Radha and Krishna but the elders of the community and all you know really all the people in the community said they were aghast that that this young Brahmin Chandidas could be having anything to do with with an untouchable sweeper woman and and they told Chandidas you know that he had to stop this I had to break up with her but he just couldn't and wouldn't um, there's many 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 details of the story and in their songs some, sometimes her name was Rami and sometimes we don't know was the song written by Chandidas or was the song actually written mm. by Rami um, and it's all the story of Radha and Krishna but finally um, the the elders were were so outraged by this complete affront to the, to their rigid traditionalism that that Rami w was exiled and Chandidas was quartered. You know, um, his limbs were attached to four horses, and he was killed that way for for that love. He 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 died. He gave his life for love, and. You know, do we say, okay, that was the love of his girlfriend? Or was that the love, his, it's just love, you know? Uh, we don't need to even think about making distinctions. Well, how can you judge another person's love, you know? Well, that love was whatever, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't that. It, it was just love. That, and like the story of Radha and Krishna, uh, in, in the Leela of Radha and Krishna, they challenged the mor mores and the rigidity of the time. And just like that, Chandidas and, and Rami challenged the rigidity of that time and uh, gave their life in that challenge. And Chandidas is, is considered a, he's like a folk hero in West Bengali. Mm -hmm. He's not as known universally as some of the other um, uh, great bhakti songwriters, but in in Bengal and parts of India, he's he's just revered as as a hero of love. So yeah, it is a tragic love story, and you feel that in the song. It's um, you know at first uh, she says, she, you know, at first she rejoices. You brought the moon to my hands um, when when you were in love with me, and then the the next verse. Uh, jumps to this feeling of being rejected. You, um, shame fills my world as I'm leaving my home because you used to be in love with me. Oh. And, and we know everyone in love knows those moments of fear and, and those moments of anxiety where you feel that your beloved doesn't love you anymore. Um, and then at the end of the song, it goes back to, you brought the moon to my hands. I mean, what an image that is. Mm. That's great. Um, Jai, you also uh, drew from um, Old Testament sources, uh, at least two uh, songs. One, the most familiar one to everybody, the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. Yeah. Psalm, but another uh, Psalm ninety one, 
tell us about drawing from uh, the familiar psalm and the less familiar psalm and why you did it and what the process was like translating it into you know music um the process was uh, you know answering the second half of the question first the process was so easy that um it not necessarily recording. Recording is another story, but but writing the the melody and the and the chords, it just the the psalms were just meant to be sung. It was so easy to sing them. So really, I I, I you know for the twenty third psalm, I just loved singing it so much, and and I sang it many 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 different places before putting it on the album. Mm. And and got you know it was always a very 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 strong experience both for me and the, and the audience, so I just wanted to explore it a little deeper and and actually literally I I just um, you know paged through the Book of Psalms and let it open wherever it was going to open and it opened to the ninety first Psalm Psalm which is attributed actually to Moses and. You know, it's it, it, the the song is 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 quite long, and I just picked several of the you know the phrases that that really touched me. And the story of that is that it was well, well Moses was leading the people across the desert, um, and as we know, there was forty years in the desert, and at, at some point, the 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 tribes, the people were, had lost faith in Moses and had lost faith in God. And Mo Moses heard the word to, to climb up to the top, top of Mount Sinai. And, um, well, we'll see what he said. Well, that was all the order was, come to the top of the mountain. So that's what Moses did. And, and when he got to the top of the mountain, now, I, you know, I, I read this in so many different texts and, and sort of like put my own version together kind of but there was this he saw this huge cloud and it was a the cloud of god and and uh, or a fog like a kind of a fog like cloud and and flying in and out of it was many many angels and and there were angels terrifying angels angels of death angels of affliction and there were also you know angels of benediction angels of of healing uh, and um moses just became very confused and very anxious and and actually terrified and uh spontaneously sang this song which was asking god for protection and that prayer is now sung in times of of uh, uh danger and in times of fear you know it says Protect me from the terrors of night and the arrows that fly by day. Uh, it's 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 a, a prayer asking for protection, and um, I found and find it very very powerful. And also the the image, you know, the 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 main image, cover me with your feathers, is mm. is, you know, where do you where does that come from? It's, it's just such a beautiful image. I, I, I remember about a year ago reading about this tribal person in, in Brazil in the rainforest who was the last man of his tribe. And uh, he, was, he, he was known, I mean, for about 20 years, people knew of him. And sometimes people would bring 
offerings of food because he was living by himself, but he was also, he would not allow anybody to get close to him. And finally, um, he passed away and they found his body. He had built himself a sort of cot and covered himself with feathers. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and he must have done that just as he was approaching his last breath. Um, co uh, cover me with your feathers. It's just like so beautiful. That's great. Um, one of the uh, many delights in uh, <clears throat> Dust and Tears, uh, and it came as a surprise, was the last song. Um, now, you mentioned earlier that your first uh, musical uh, inspiration was the banjo, and you kind of returned to it here with a, a very sort of folksy Americana uh song that you call Ode to the Mystics. Tell, tell us about that and, and the choice to, you know, render it in that kind of uh, folksy way. Well, you know, as I, as I mentioned that the banjo was my first love. So, so through all these years of doing all this different kind of music and um, different settings for devotional music, and, you know, banjo has been kind of my, like, home buddy. I pick up the banjo and I play Appalachian songs and sing and um, you know and, and in a bunch of times I've, I've written kirtans in an Appalachian style, old-timey, you know we call it old-timey and um, so I, I was also taking during the pandemic taking some online courses, banjo courses because I just wanted to kind of re renew my skills a little bit Anyway, so I, I was sitting just at my desk one day, and I was playing this banjo waltz, uh, a waltz time, old-timey melody that I was kind of making up. And, and Nubia, my brilliant wife, she, she birthed these words just like, uh, she just wrote them down, all the words to that song. Uh, I changed one or two just to, for singing, you know, to make it a little, a little simpler, easier singing. But it was it was a song in tribute to all the, not just the the uh, mystics who inspired each of these individual songs, but a tribute to to the centuries and centuries and millennia of of spiritual seekers who expressed their their journey and song and and you know the last line of the chorus is that the, these songs became the key that the songs themselves themselves be, are keys to opening up our inner world and our inner heart and our inner um, uh, longing and connection to the divine so you know there was never really any question, okay, should we add bass, should we add synthesizers, should we add anything? No, let's let's just do this this one song completely naked the way the way it was born. And it was so amazing that she wrote it in one in like two one minute, really, two minutes. It is just she just wrote it all down and she said, Here, I go, What? What is it? And I looked at it and, and there was it just fit exactly what I was playing and, and you know, it's a very, it's very simple and, and, and you know, and naive in a sense, or maybe not, naive is not the right word, but 
you know, it's just an innocent mm. song of, of, of really of gratitude to those who came before, mm. um, which is something that I feel like we all need to do more and more and more because we don't, you know, we're resting on, on you know, we see pictures of, of Krishna, uh, uh, you know, when he's dancing on Kaliya, the, the serpent, and it almost looks like he's standing on top of a wave. We're, we're all resting on, on this wave and current uh, of the ancient ones. Um, we wouldn't even be, be able to, to stand up if it wasn't for what, what has been given to us by the sages, um, men and women of the past. So that, that simple song is expressing that. It's a beautiful tribute. Um, you, you've alluded many times to the, uh, the inner experience of uh, performing devotional music and presumably uh, listening to it or participating. Do you find a, a significant difference in how you feel doing kirtan as opposed to singing in English? Is, is in kirtan you're you're singing traditional Sanskrit mantras. English is your native tongue, the language of meaning and communication and all that. Do you feel different? Does it feel? Is the experience of doing it different? Um, that's a really good question. I, I let me just um, interject that. You know, earlier on you said that this album was a bit of a departure. So in that sense, it is because the album is like 95% in English. Right. There's, some, there's some Sanskrit, there's some Bengali, and there's a little Hebrew. But it's, it's mostly English. Now, do I feel different? Um, well, you know, we go through many different phases in our life. And, and right now, um, after having created this album and just released this album, I'm feeling such deep, deep emotions and deep connection in singing these songs. And, and I would say, no, I don't feel different. Um, but the Kirtan experience is very transpersonal. And, and you know, we can sing one, one song for a long, 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 long time. And in creating these devotional songs in English, um, I don't know, it's kind of like a, each song is a statement and an experience and an inner journey, but it's like a more concise kind of like, mm. you know, but it's no less emotional in some ways for right now, at least when I say now, I mean now in my life, right now it, it feels even more deep and more emotional and uh, but you know, when I sing, I'm singing to my guru, whether I'm singing in English or whether I'm, I'm singing mantras. Mm. And, and the other night when we had our album release concert, uh, the highlight, well, you know, partially it was, it was the final song and partially that, you know, after, you know, all the band is all relaxed finally and I'm relaxed finally. So there's that element where finally at the end you can just really all just let it out but it was the song such is my fate 
which was inspired by a poet named Vidyapati, a poet by a songwriter named Vidyapati. And that song has the English verses and then mantra chorus. And um, it was so strong when we did mm. it live. Mm. And, you know, it was like the verses and the, well, the first couple of choruses are also in English, were so, oh, just dripping with the emotion. And then going into the Hare Krishna mantra that closed, that closes the song and, and stretching that and stretching that out, it's almost like at first we wrung our hearts out uh, with these words in English. And, and then it was able to flip into this kind of ecstatic, uh, non-linear, non-thought process uh, celebration. So, so they're almost like two sides of the same coin. Mm. Um, they do something, there's, you know, kirtan singing, mantra singing does something a little different because it's, it's taking it completely out of the framework of linear thoughts. Where in English we're, we are in the framework of linear thoughts, but it's still completely prayer, and it's still the intention of of spiritual connection is is, is not different. Uh, one thing I, I'll have to say is that you know I I have to work to remember the lyrics in English. <laughs> where where we're singing kirtan, it's so you know I've been doing it so long, and it's so. I don't mean to say easy, that it's easy, like, it, 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 it's not easy meaning, what do I mean? Lyrically, it's easy. Mm. You know, we're singing a mantra over and over and over and over again. And, and for me, that's second nature. Mm. Where, whereas now with these songs, I, and I feel that's, that's also a great process because I'm, I'm working to memorize them. And each time I sing them, I find another kind of layer in it. Mm. And I embody the song even more. So like if we were to record the vocals for the song now, I would have a bit, perhaps a bit of a different um, uh, something than, mm -hmm. than, than when I recorded the vocals six months ago or whatever it was. Yeah. Any final words, Jai, uh, for our listeners who want, who are either old fans of yours or, uh, about to discover you, I will tell everybody, go to uh, jayutal.com and you'll get the a full picture of Jai and his career and the uh, uh, all the history of uh, albums he's produced. Is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners, leave them with, with respect to being good listeners of music, yours or anybody else's? Well... You know, I love it when when I get letters and notes from people that they really listened to the album. You know, most of us these days don't really listen because music is uh, it's just on in the background. And and I would I would be so happy if people find dust and tears and really sit down and listen. And then the 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 liner notes, the full complete liner notes are available on my website as a download and you know I have a limited edition a limited amount of hard copy CDs and uh, vinyl albums which are available on my website but of course the album is streaming everywhere and 
I just love it when people really listen and then, and then not just listen to my music, but really appreciate, re, like rediscover an appreciation of, of music and, you know, particularly music that comes from the soul and the heart of, of the artist and to really, really listen because, wow, music should never be taken for granted. It's, it's mm. such a sacred and holy beautiful part of life a great way to end so listeners go uh, avail yourself of uh, heat of heat and dust of <laughs> dust and tears and uh, all of jai's uh, oeuvre and uh, jai thanks so much for being with us good luck with everything Thank thanks you, for Phil. all the good work you do and uh, listeners uh, please uh, subscribe to the podcast and uh, so you don't miss a thing and if you're hearing us for the first time go back and uh, hear some of the earlier interviews i think you'll find them very rewarding uh tell your friends uh, email me with your suggestions i always want to hear of uh, people i should interview of course read my books and check out my website subscribe to my mailing list and uh, tune in next time. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Phil. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.